Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Okay. Children, second grade and under, can meet Miss Leanne over here by the door. All right, church, good morning. Grab your Bibles. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible and let that be our gift to you. Um, this morning, we did get to celebrate the seed as it has given birth to a living follower of Jesus. And that's just an exciting day. Today, uh, in fact, I'm not actually going to be preaching from... Uh, Matthew 13. I'm going to be preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. All right, and when you get there, say amen. All right, we're going slow on the sword drill this morning. Now, we are in... Um, Week 7 of our vision series where we're talking about who is God called his church to be. We remember that a vision is uh, a vision or a desired uh, being that, that we are headed toward. Uh, a mission is what God's called us to do. And a uh, strategy is how has God called us to do what he's called us to do. So mission, vision, strategy, all a little different. And so tonight or today, uh, I want to talk about our vision points. Vision points. And so mainly number 7. So if you would, grab your Bible and stand with me. Let's honor the reading of God's Word. And let's wake you guys up a little bit this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? 
Father, as we have just opened your word and read it, may it, the word of God, be like a seed planted into our hearts, and may it not fall on a hard soil, and may the, the, the birds not swoop down and steal it, and we ask this morning that it wouldn't fall among, among rocky soil or thorny soil, but we ask, Father, that it, the seed, the word of God, would fall in good soil, and in our lives it bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold, and we ask, Father, that your word would transform us and make us more like your son, Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, week seven of our vision statement. Let's go through those real fast. As we look at our vision statement, we want to remember these each week for eight weeks. The first one was, we desire to be a church that reflects heaven. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. The second one, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Number three, we desire to declare God's word through singing, preaching, and evangelism. We believe that it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Number four, we desire to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another and making disciples of all nations. Number five, we desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Six, we desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the ends of the world, armed with the gospel, filled with the Spirit. Seven, today we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And last, we desire to, G desire to see Jesus glorified in everything that we do, in all that we do. We have a simple mission statement here at Seneca Baptist, and this is why we exist. We exist to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus, and we do that with three words. We declare, disciple, and deploy. We declare the gospel, we disciple the believer, and we deploy the church. Declare, disciple, deploy. That is who God's called us to be. And that is what God has called us to do and how he's called us to do it. Now this week, our focus is sowing the gospel seed. We desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people each year. Alright, that's our point for the day. Now this hinges on last week. Last week we looked at the idea of deploying to the edges of Oconee County, to the ends of the world, as ambassadors for Christ armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Why are we deployed? To sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year. That is where we're headed today. And so let's look in our Bibles at verse 20. Verse 20 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so we're going to come back to the therefore in a minute. But therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador, when we think about an ambassador, we think about one uh, nation sending out an ambassador of their nation to another nation. But when we talk about an ambassador for Christ, we're speaking about a, a respected official living in one country, acting as a representative of another country. 
and now an ambassador must walk a very fine line. He lives in one country, but he's responsible to another country. He must represent the leader of the country that he comes from who is not directly present with him. He must also embody the character of his home country while following the laws and customs that are not necessarily known or even welcome in the host nation. And he must do all of this while respecting the laws and customs of that host. So last week, we talked about how God is sovereign. And last week, we we used this word deployed, that God strategically places us. And so some of you, we remember back one week ago, some some of you have moved here. Now, let me just ask a question. How many of you, like me, are transplants to Oconee County? All right, look around. Look around. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now let's do the opposite. How many of you born and raised Oconee folks right here? All right. I mean, maybe a a tenth versus nine tenths, all right? So think about this, that God is sovereign. What I mean by that is that you're not here by mistake, that you did not end up in Oconee County uh, for any of the reasons maybe that we thought originally, that we we came here because of a job, we came here because uh, of low property taxes, or I can be on the lake, or any of those things. You didn't come here because the education's good or it's a good place to raise children. Ultimately, you came here because God loves you enough to strategically move you and place you so that you might be useful in His kingdom purposes. He deployed you to Oconee County. Now, I just want you to think about that. How humbling is that? That from the beginning of time, God had a plan for your life, and even though He allows us to make choices, ultimately His plan will be accomplished through us and in us. And so for all time past, in all time future, God brought you here, placed you in Oconee County. Why? To deploy you as ambassadors for Christ, armed with the gospel, filled with the Spirit, to sow gospel seeds right where you live. That's God's ultimate plan for you. You are an ambassador, but why would he do that? Because God, through Jesus, God has made us ambassadors. And, and I just, just to remind you, this is not a new idea. The idea of missions is not New Testament, but the idea of missions and being an ambassador for Christ is from creation. Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve, places them in a garden, and he blesses them. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. And God, in his, uh, in his ultimate plan, saw fit to put Adam and Eve into the world as emissaries to the world that they might be ambassadors to the world, that they might bear his image in his name to the world that he placed them in. Now, really quickly, after Adam and Eve were created and put in the garden, really quickly it all went south, and Adam and Eve sinned against God. They said to this sovereign God, this King of kings and Lord of lords, you know what? We think we'd be a better God than you, and we think we'd be better kings than you, and we know better for our lives than you know better for our lives. And they rebelled against God, and sin marred that image. Sin caused God's people not to rightly uh, be ambassadors for the one who created them and placed them divinely. But through the work of Jesus, now we can fulfill that ministry. And God has placed you here so that you might participate 
in the ministry of reconciliation, and God has made you a minister of that. Now, some of us, you grew up in a tradition where to think that you would be a minister is really a weird thought, isn't it? You mean I'm a minister? Yes. You mean that God has ordained me to serve His gospel in my community? Yes. But I'm, I'm not, I've, never, I've never gone to school or I've never gone to seminary. But we have to remember that Paul is not writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the graduating class of seminary students, is he? Paul's not writing to, to Billy Graham, right? He's not writing to D.L. Moody. He's writing to everyday average Joes, you and me. He's writing to us, whether that's pastors or teachers, moms, dads, grandparents, stockbrokers, accountants, police officers, everyone. I heard a quote this week by Elton Trueblood, and I think we have it up on the screen. He says, evangelism is not a profession, a professional job for a trained, few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. Now the question is, do you belong to the company of Jesus? If so, then the job of evangelism, and that word evangelism is a big fancy word to, to, that means to share good news. To share good news. It's a big word for a very simple idea. To share good news. That is your job and your responsibility, and God has given that responsibility to everyone. Now, you might say, well, Ryan, I've tried, and it's not my gift. Have you ever tried sharing the gospel and you felt like you botched it up really bad and so now you're gun shy of that? Some people would say, well, it's not my gift. And, and you might be right. You might be right that that might not be your top gift or it might not come naturally to you like it seems to come naturally to others. But I want you to remember that everything good in life is hard. Everything good in life is hard. Question, married people, is marriage hard? If you say no, I'm afraid of you, right? Marriage is hard, but it's good. It takes work. It takes work. Your Christian walk. I, I don't naturally wake up praying in the morning. Prayer is hard for me in the morning. But i got to work at it. Reading the Bible and getting something out of it. Is it worth it? Yes. It's of ultimate worth. But is it hard? Uh-huh. It takes dedication and time. And the more I read, the more I get. The more I read, the more I understand. The more I read, the more I grow. The more I pray, the more I know the Father. The harder I work on my marriage, the more I love my wife. Everything good is difficult. And evangelism is too. This ambassador idea is a responsibility of every one of us. But the... Baptist preacher Vance Havner said it this way. He said, too many are willing to sit at God's table, but not work in his field. Too many are willing to sit at his table without working in his field. An ambassador is not on a schedule, a time clock. You don't check in and check out of being an ambassador for Christ. You, you don't have a 40-hour quota. You're always on duty, always representing the king. Your words, your actions, your thoughts, your heart, your motivations, everything you do is as an ambassador for Christ. Or maybe, um, as David Paul, Tripp, Paul David Tripp says like this, how can I best represent the king in this place and with this particular person? 
How can I best represent the king in this place with this person that I'm in front of? Every conversation, every interaction, God has ordained for you to be useful as an ambassador for Christ. So what do I mean about being an ambassador for Christ? Let's get into the word and let's talk about the therefore. Okay, the beginning of verse 20, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, what does it mean? Three things. Three things. It means that it starts with a change of citizenship. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It starts with a change of citizenship. Now look at verse 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. That is the phrase that we need to hang on to in this passage. He died for all so that all who live through him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. That's a change of citizenship. A change of citizenship from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. From the kingdom of me to the kingdom of him. And I must Remember every day that I'm not the king of any kingdom. Most of us men learned that pretty quickly when we got married. I'm the head of the house, and my wife is the neck that turns it. I put my pants on every day. I wear the pants. I just wear the pants that she tells me to wear, right? I'm not the king of any kingdom on earth. But I am a servant in his kingdom. I'm an ambassador for his kingdom. When I become an ambassador, my life ceases to be my own. And to be an ambassador, I must submit myself and surrender myself to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I must surrender myself. I must submit my will, my desires to him. Now, this is where conflict often arises when I go from one kingdom to another kingdom. Because what happens when I am transferred, as the Bible says, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son, is there begins, in that moment, a war within me. Here's the war. The, even though I have changed citizenship from the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of self to the kingdom of heaven there are still little thrones in the kingdom of self. Is it just me out there? Is anybody else trying to still let those thrones topple? And there's a conflict that rises in that moment when I transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son that the King of Kings wants to dethrone every idol in my life. Every idol must fall and bow its knee to King Jesus. And so when I am transferred from one kingdom to another by the grace of God, that's when the work begins. That's when it becomes difficult for us. Many people, you say, you trust Jesus and it's all going to be smooth from there on out. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Man, those people don't know. You follow Jesus for more than 12 minutes. Following Jesus is tough. It's work. When you begin to follow Jesus, Satan puts a target on you. 
He's coming for you. Why? Because Satan doesn't like to lose what was once his. But God wants to root out in you every idol and every throne which would stand against his dominion in your life. So he changed, God by his grace changed Paul's and changes our citizenship. And here's where we get fouled up. Here's where we get fouled up as people. We, as people, we would say, where, are you, where, where is your citizenship? And most of us quickly would go, I live in Oconee County in the great state of South Carolina, and I live in the best country in the world, the United States of America. That's where my citizenship lies. But that's not what the scriptures say. Scriptures say that there is something so great about the gospel that transcends even our earthly citizenship, that that earthly citizenship of I reside in a certain place, that takes second seat to the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that my citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. Listen to me, church family. Listen to me, friends. Anytime we say, I am an American Christian, I am a white Christian, I am a Republican Christian. What have I done with the kingdoms? I have disordered them. They are in the wrong place. They are in the wrong place. Why? Because my citizenship as a child of heaven now transcends every other earthly allegiance I have. And that's hard. Because we want to be proud of the country that we live in, and we ought to be proud of the country that we live in. But when my country goes awry, I choose Jesus' kingdom first. When our political party goes awry, I choose Jesus' kingdom first. Right? Are you with me? There's not a right political party. I just need you, I, that was not in my notes. Maybe you shouldn't have said it. I might get another email on that one. Political parties aren't right. Do you remember Joshua chapter 6? There was a, the angel of the Lord's army came in that day. And, and Joshua came to him and he says, are you for us or for them? I just need to know whose side you're on. And what's the angel of the Lord's army say? No. Uh... Didn't really answer my question. Are you for us or for them? No, I'm on his side. I'm on his side. And if you're on his side, I guess you're on my side because we're on his side. See, the kingdom transcends every other authority and throne in our lives. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Instead of a nation, Paul is an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And unlike what we think about when we think about an ambassador, uh, Paul did not hail from his nation. Paul did not originate from the nation that he's now an ambassador for. Instead, Paul came into the kingdom just like you and I, recognizing his sin, recognizing that he needs a savior and trusting that Christ was the all-sufficient savior to meet his sin's need. Paul came in to the kingdom not by birth, but by rebirth. 
not by merit, but by grace and adoption. And that's the way that we come into the kingdom as ambassadors for Christ, because we must be born again. That's why it says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what? Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And listen to me, church family. Listen to me, friend. You might be out there today and you've never been born again. And if you have never been born again of the Spirit of God, come into His kingdom by grace through faith in Christ, then you are not a child of God, but you can be. But you can be. See, to be an ambassador for Christ, you have to have a change of citizenship. And secondly, you have to live by God's character, by kingdom character. Now, I'm not going to talk about this a lot um, because it's not directly in the passage. But as an ambassador for Christ, um, since we don't belong to this world, but instead we're a representative of another kingdom, everything we say and do is important because of the king that we represent. My character and actions do not preach the gospel. Now listen to me. I just said that. A lot of people say, well, I preach the gospel every day with what I, how I live. Now that was a, a famous phrase. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi was quoted to say, preach the gospel every day and when necessary use words. The only problem with that is that nobody's been, ever been saved by your actions. But can our actions either... Um, undergird the gospel that we're preaching or tear down or chip, at the, chip away at the gospel that we're preaching. Can they do that? No one has ever come into the kingdom because of my actions, but our actions often create a stumbling block for people who would want to receive the gospel. We have to live by kingdom character. If we're going to be an ambassador for Christ, we must live by kingdom character. And you, you maybe have heard uh, a phrase, you can lead a horse to water, finish it with me. You can't make him drink. Well, what's Jesus say about us? You are the what? Salt of the earth. So there's a saying that adds on to that phrase. You, can't, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you sure can add salt to his oats. And our living, our kingdom character can add salt to the oats of people around us, creating in them maybe a thirst for the hope that's within us. Third, third, sowing the gospel message. What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? We sow the gospel message. Now look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, here's what we see in that verse, that verse alone, that in Christ, God was reconciling us to himself. Now, don't miss that phrase. God, through Jesus, is reconciling us to himself. In other words, it's not God who has gone astray. It's not God who has wandered away from us, but rather we must be reconciled. Our relationship with God has been broken, no fault of his own, and we've got to be reconciled to him. Our sin, our rebellion has 
made us wander away from the Lord. And now God, through His grace, has sent Jesus to come and seek and save that which is lost. That when we trust in Him, we are brought near to Him. We are reconciled to God. We must not miss that. How how does that happen? Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them. Isn't that good news? That God knows all the list of all of our sins from all time past and all time future, and God, through Jesus, is not counting our trespasses against us. Isn't that good news? It's such good news. How is that possible? How is it possible that a perfect God could look at a sinful human being and not count their trespasses against them? Is it because, well, God's just love, and He just loves everybody? Is that true? Yes, He does love, and He is love, but a loving God also must be just and righteous. He can't just love. He can't just forgive. I had somebody mention that to me on Wednesday morning. He said, well, can't God just forgive people? And I said, okay, just imagine that I'm a judge. Or you're a judge. And I'm speeding through a school zone. And I run over a child. And I walk into the courtroom. And I go, judge, it was just a bad day. I was on my phone. I was in a hurry. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. Please forgive me. If the judge said, oh, I completely understand. Don't worry about it, Mr. Perry. You're free to go. Is that a good judge? No. You wouldn't say, wow, what a great, merciful judge he is. You would say, that guy needs to be disbarred. Why? Because even though that was merciful, it was not just. And God in His sovereignty, in His omnipotent, uh, omniscient, infinite character, He is completely and utterly merciful and loving, and He is completely and utterly just and righteous. He is both simultaneously, and those two things are not contradictory. This is the way. This is the the illustration that we use all week with kids camp. This is the way God sees us. Apart from Christ, He looks at us and we're covered in sin. Isaiah 64 says that our righteousness is like filthy rags to Him. So your good deeds even are tainted with sin. You can't save you. And as hard as I try, if I take good deeds and I write good deeds on top of my sin, right on this shirt, you know what's always going to be under my good deeds? My sin. Even though I can write on top of my sins with good deeds, I can never erase the good deeds from my heart, or the sins from my heart. The sins are always there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us how God can... Save us. It tells us. Let's look at it together. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says, for our sake, He made Him, that is, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. On the cross, there was a great exchange that took place. That on the cross, Jesus bore the sin of mankind on His back. He took on Himself your sin, 
Whatever your sin list is, He took it upon Himself and on the cross, He bore the full weight of God's perfect justice and righteousness on the cross. And He did something that you could not do on the cross. He bore that for you. But before He got to the cross, Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus not one time thought, said, or did anything that contradicted God's Word. He lived a spotless, stainless life. And He did that for our sake. And on the cross, Jesus took off His perfection, put on your sin and my sin, and there at the cross, if you will by faith trust what Christ has done, He will take your sin and He will give you His spotless righteousness. That's what it says. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of Christ. That's what it says. You can't do this yourself. It's a gift. And some of you today, before we talk about sowing, you need to receive it. All you've been doing your whole life is trying to cover up the sin in your life with good deeds. And Christ is coming to you today and He's saying to you, aren't you tired of that? Isn't that wearisome? And He says, instead, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. He's got an easy burden. A light yoke for you. And we've got to receive that gospel seed. Let's make it practical as we close. Our responsibility is to sow. As Christians, some of you in this room, two groups of people, you either need to be sowers or receivers. Some of you, you always start with receiving and then we sow. That's our responsibility is to sow the gospel seed. Remember, evangelism is not just for the super spiritual, it's for everyone. God does, does gift some to share the gospel, but that's not the case for most. But whether you have the gift or whether you don't have the gift, we have the responsibility to sow it. Evan- evangelism is not a matter of ability, but availability. You remember how we talked about that last week? It's about obedience. God used a donkey in the Old Testament to to share a message that He wanted to be shared. And isn't that good news that if He can use a donkey, He can use me too. Our responsibility is to sow. Can you save somebody? No. Your gospel presentation is not so good that your words save anybody. But remember last week, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is. Not your words. The gospel is the power. And our our responsibility is to sow. It's so freeing that we're armed with the gospel. And we're filled with His Spirit. And that's what we do. We sow. It's not even our message. It's God's. And He has equipped you to do what He's asked you to do. God has not sent you out into this world to do a task that He will not fill you with power and ability to accomplish. 
But He will not bless us until we get out there. We sow. It's our responsibility to sow. Number two, we sow bountifully. Bountifully. That's why it says in our vision point, we desire to sow the the gospel seed to thousands of people every year. Thousands of people. Ryan, that just sounds like you're all about numbers. Yes and no. One thing I've learned with gardening through my wife is that gardening is kind of like a numbers game. If I have one tomato plant and something happens to that one tomato plant, I got no tomatoes. But if I plant a bunch of tomato plants, the chances are better that I have tomato sandwiches. Are you with me? We sow bountifully. Why thousands? Because there are some biblical principles that we need to recognize. And one of them is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And this is what it says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Now, are we thankful? How thankful are we that three people made a public profession of faith in baptism this morning? Isn't that amazing? Yes. And Andrew's up next week, and we're excited about that. And maybe there are some others of you in this room who are going to join him. But I want to see 103 to the glory of God, to the growing and expansion of his kingdom. I so desire that every week we're having to put chlorine tablets in there. Just to keep it fresh. Because we don't have time to empty it and fill it. To sow the gospel seed. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, I understand in that context that Paul is directly talking about finances, but the principle is still true. The principle is still true. Now, sometimes people will push back and say, well, it's all about relationships. Now, It is. Evangelism is not about relationships, though. Discipleship is. Does evangelism sometimes get easier with relationships? Yes, it does. Does evangelism sometimes get harder with relationships? Yes, it does. Evangelism is not determined by relationships. Discipleship is. We cannot leave evangelism at at evangelism. Evangelism must turn into discipleship. And as we might call it, a job onboarding. We want that person to be onboarded into the church. And we want to see them come into SBC. Come into a local Bible-believing church. I don't care if it's here or elsewhere. I just want them to come into the kingdom and be plugged into a church. Third thing, make it practical. We trust the Lord of the harvest. We trust the Lord of the harvest. Why? Two reasons. Because we can't see the soil of a person's heart. We cannot see the soil of a person's heart. I have no idea what God's doing in your soil. And so what my responsibility is to sow the gospel seed, to sow it bountifully, and then to trust the Lord of the harvest. Because I can't make anything grow. I just can't do it. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives a parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who plants seeds, and then he goes to sleep. And he wakes up. And the seeds have grown and he knows not how. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, what? Bears the fruit. God gives the growth. We trust the Lord of the harvest because we can't see the soil. We can't cause anything to grow. And last, the last thing that I want to give you this morning to be very practical is that we don't give up. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. Is there a person in your life that you think is just resistant to the gospel? Don't give up. You want to know why? I didn't trust Jesus the first time I heard the gospel. Did you? Some of us were hard-headed. Some of us were rebellious. Some of us resisted. Some of us didn't want to follow Jesus. We didn't want to surrender to King Jesus. And you can't see the soil, so trust the Lord of the harvest and don't give up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Don't give up, Seneca Baptist Church. Don't give up, brother or sister, who's faithfully sowing the gospel seed. Don't give up. If you've got a child who's wandering from the faith, don't give up. If you've got a neighbor that you've shared the gospel with over and over and they just seem like a closed door, don't give up. Pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask them to ready that soil. You pray and trust Him and don't give up. So as we close, has your citizenship changed? Maybe today that's your step. I need to be saved. I have sin. I don't know what to do with them. I've just been trying to cover them. I need Jesus to deal with them. Once and for all and forever. Today that's your step. Has your citizenship changed? Have you trusted in Jesus' death on the cross to deal with your sin? Is your character befitting of an ambassador? When was the last time you sowed the gospel seed? When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? And the last is, are you just, are you available? Are you available to him? Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just you and the Lord. Is there anybody in here today that says, Ryan, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need a Savior. And today I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's just me looking at you. If that's you today, you say, Ryan, I want to meet Jesus. I want to ask him to be my Savior and Lord. Would you just slide up your hand to me? It's just me and you. I see your hands. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You can slide them back down. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Praise the Lord. If that was you, you can pray a simple prayer like this today. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. 
I deserve to die and spend eternity separated from you. But today I put my trust in what Jesus did for me. He died for my sins and to give me his righteousness. I surrender my life to you, King Jesus. Help me to live for you. In your name, I pray. Amen. Now there are others in this place who might need to meet with the Lord. Say, Father, forgive me. I've not sowed the gospel seed. Father, forgive me because, because my character has not been befitting of an ambassador. Forgive me, Lord. And I want to recommit my life. I'm ready. I'm available. Now everybody's eyes up. If you raised your hand, here's where it's a challenge to you. I want you to make that public today. Come down. Grab my hand. Say, Pastor Ryan, I just asked Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. Let's just have a time where we sing this song. And then you come down as we're singing. Let me know what you've done today. Oh, Lord, my God. I'm